to the Make It Tank It podcast, where we talk about the best of college basketball and the worst of the NBA. This is your host, Spencer Tranum, with me today. As always, your hosts, uh, Noah Wolfenstein. Bucks and Six. And Brian Fields. I So I was supposed to, like, quote-unquote, like, study abroad, and it got canceled because of corona, but they decided to do it online. <laughs> but my classes start at 645 like sharp in the morning until 10 a.m. And they're live with the camera on. And like, so I'm like getting cold called at like seven in the morning. Our professors are like at, um, I had one in Virginia and then I had two in Kentucky. (laughs) And so they're not even in Budapest either. (laughs) All right. So we're, you know, we're right in the middle of the NBA finals. Game five was last night. It was pretty, pretty intense. It's been a great final so far. I've been enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, man. It's been really fun to watch. I think the best final since 2016. What do you guys think? I completely agree. Um, I I kind of was already calling the finals after game two. So it, it's, and it's hard after those first two games to not kind of write the Bucks off. I feel like everybody did that. And I mean, it's huge for the Bucks to win three games in a row. Like, that's insanely tough. And. Now they're one game away from winning a championship. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how quickly it's it's swung. But it's been so it's been so fun to watch. And I feel like I've seen mixed reactions on like Twitter and stuff. Like some people that are really bored by it, and some people that are. I feel like the people that are bored by it, like honestly, are just kind of casual fans. Like it's so fun to see guys we've never seen in the finals before. My take last night when I was watching it: Booker and Middleton both are just so unguardable. It's they're both so fun to watch whenever they're playing at their best, which Booker's been pretty consistent. Mil- I feel like Middleton's not been quite as consistent, but they're both so fun to watch when they're just scoring at will. Like Drew Holiday with some big plays down the stretch last night. I know that's a guy that talked up a lot earlier in the season and said that he would be crucial for the Bucks, And sure enough, he has been. Um, he was kind of struggling earlier in the playoffs, but he's really found his his shot lately and been playing really well. So Yeah, you know, all of the uh, cards are kind of lining up for the Bucks, which makes me a little worried for them. Um, it seems a little too good to be true to like be coming home uh, to try to win the finals. The whole Bucks and Six chant is the prophecy is being fulfilled. And I just I I think Chris Paul might have like one more trick up his sleeve, and I I don't I I wouldn't write it in just yet. But the it does feel like the Bucks are uh, the team of destiny here after dropping the first. You know they dropped the first two against Brooklyn too, including it was like a forty nine point loss and. Everyone was writing them off then, too. They just have a way of coming back, and they're so resilient and tough. Like, I go back to when they acquired P.J. Tucker. I was in Milwaukee, and my roommate and I, my roommate's diehard Bucks fan, like, for his whole life. And we just talked about how big P.J. Tucker was going to be and, like, that kind of mentality, like, the toughness and the resilience that he would bring. He might not fill up the stat line, but he's going to really, like, help with the character of the team and in clutch, clutch moments, something that the Bucks have not been able to do in the past is like perform in clutch moments and I mean it's not like PJ Tucker's filling on the stat line but just that that like mentality that he brings to the team I think has really showed up in the playoffs and in these big moments in a really a really noticeable way and it it can happen like throughout the series like when they go down 0-2 but they don't panic it can it can happen within a game when they almost blow a lead and they don't panic it's just uh, they're just really impressive. Like I, they have been flawed all playoffs, and people have been kind of like picking nits with them a lot. 
as like we've done the same thing. Like it, it's a frustrating team to watch at times, but um, I just think they're the toughest team. And if they win, that will be that will be why. Same same thing with the Atlanta series too, right? They lost game one at home, and then um, gosh, I think it was game three in Atlanta. They got blown out, and then Giannis hyperextended his knee, and it was looking like really rough for them for a second there until Trey Young stepped on the ref's foot and um, everything was pretty much downhill from there with Atlanta. Um, as an Atlanta fan, it was still a really fun series and it was more than I could have ever asked for um, from an Atlanta sports perspective. Um, but yeah, like the Bucks were looking like they, they would maybe not even make it out of Atlanta, let alone win a championship with the way things are going. And, uh, most people thought Giannis probably wasn't going to play for the rest of the season, but he's, you know, was obviously very fortunate to not have any major damage from that injury. And I mean, he's hundred percent now, I guess I'd say, I mean, he's, he's killing it. And so it's Playing amazing. Yeah. Like you said, everything has really been lining up for them when after, you know, it'll, it'll look really bad for them one second and then everything just kind of lines up for them. And I mean, that's kind of basketball, honestly, like, sometimes you catch really lucky breaks and everything goes your way and you win not to take, not to take away from their talent or anything. Cause they're, you know, we've been saying all season, they're an incredibly talented team all around, but if I was going to put money on it, I think the Suns pull out one more game to send this to seven games. And then I think I agree with you about the Suns. Um, I think they're going to pull one out. Um, right now I'm saying bucks and seven. Um, I think it's exciting. I think um, we've had some awesome game sevens um, in the playoffs and there's nothing more exciting than game seven in the NBA finals. Um, nothing more stressful either, but um, I'd be, I'll be really excited to see that if that happens. I don't know what's going on with Chris Paul, but he was so good in the first two games and he's just been weird. Turning the ball over a ton, yeah. um, missing shots. Yeah. And credit to uh, coach Bud who we've like maligned a lot for not making adjustments. They've done a really good job on him, but like if he, I've heard speculation that he's hurt. Like, I don't know what's going on, but, it just feels like if he doesn't play well, the Suns just are a completely different team than the team that we kind of fell in love with throughout the season. Uh, they really need him like to to be facilitating and getting to that elbow jumper and dribbling the ball. Like all of a sudden he can't dribble, which is weird. There was a lot of like Devin Booker ISO in game five, and I wasn't a big fan of that. Like watching them all year, it's all about ball movement. The way the Suns have been playing the last several games, where they've been losing it's been a lot less of team basketball and a lot more Devin Booker, you know, taking the ball down the court, ISO basketball one-on-one. And like, yeah. I mean, he's a star scorer. It, it can work when the offense operates through him for sure. I mean, we've seen how incredible of a scorer he is, but like, it's not the well-rounded Phoenix team that we've seen like we've seen before. And they've, they've dropped three straight. And I'm just wondering if they're going to make any adjustments and try to, you know, try to get Booker to play less ISO basketball or like, I don't really know how you, how you do that though. If Chris Paul is off his game, um, what you really do to sort of adjust, but um, they definitely need to adjust in some way. Again, like all credit to the Bucks, They've done a really good job with DeAndre Aiden too. And um, I think DeAndre Aiden's gotten in a little foul trouble. He's also had a hard job defensively trying to stay with Giannis. But in the previous series, Aiden has just been dominant. And it's really opened up things, having that center presence. Like, 
where they can move the ball around better. And I wonder if they'll try to establish a post presence in game six uh, to try to open up space for their shooters. I, I think I'm driving, like I'm confusing my family because I am like kind of rooting for the Suns just because I love Cam Johnson so much. And I just like, he's just so fun to watch when he dunked on PJ. I was freaking out. I didn't know he could jump even half as high as he jumped. <laughs> um, but I feel like they should utilize their like really good athletic wings and like play through them a little more too. Like just let it get them running around. And I, I mean, it all goes back to what Brian is saying. Like it's all about ball movement with them and um, whatever adjustments they make, I think they, it needs to not be Booker ISO. I think if it's Booker ISO, he could drop 40 and I think they'll lose and, and the Bucks. Well, we saw that he outscored every other starter. I think it was game four. He scored like 42 or something. And then the other starter scored 38. Like when, when it's Booker ISO, it's not, it's not championship basketball. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's not the most conducive to winning. Like Milwaukee has shown that they had like all three of their stars have shown up and it was kind of a question mark if that was going to happen. Um, but Middleton and Holiday, they've been a little up and down in the playoffs. And I think people kind of discounted whether they could all be good at the same time. And you saw last night when they all had over 25 points, they can be. And like, it's a real big three, like all those moves, like all those picks that they sent to get Drew Holiday. I think they would do it again in a heartbeat to be in the position they're in right now. I feel like a lot of people don't pay attention to how much impact players like Drew Holiday have both ways on the court. Right. Like he might not be scoring 30 points a night, you know, even though he could, but he, uh, I mean, that seal to the win in the lob to Giannis. I mean, that's just like sort of symbolic to me of like all he does on the defensive end. Um, things that you might not notice if you're like not paying close enough attention um, throughout the game, but he really does a lot on the defensive end that adds a lot to the team. Although I will say, it stressed me out when he got that steal and he took it down and I was like, just run, just run the clock down. I'm so glad and I thought he was about to throw it out. I thought he was about to throw the ball out and turn it over. Um, and Giannis got up there and mm-hmm. threw it down, but made, that stressed me out for a second. Yeah, it made for one of the more iconic moments I can remember. So I'm very glad he did it, but it was not the right basketball move. Yeah. Between the block and then the lob, like, we've had two of the most iconic finals plays I can think of in a long yeah, time. I love it, man. It's been so fun. Yeah, I know there was a podcast we did earlier this year where we were talking about the Bucks and we are talking about Drew Holiday and how we thought he was the difference maker that could put the Bucks in the finals. Uh, we were talking about what an incredible upgrade to go from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday was. And then in the conference finals, there was a tweet from Stat Muse that was like, Eric Bledsoe's playoff stats from last year compared to Drew Holiday's playoff stats from this year, they were like almost identical. <laughs> and I was just like shaking my head at the takes that we had about how much better he was. But it's it like, I knew he was better, but yeah. it's like, I mean, he's definitely proved. Yes. So this is the first podcast since the draft lottery. So the picks are set and Detroit got the number one pick, uh, followed by the Rockets at number two, Cleveland at number three, Toronto up at number four, the Magic at five. Um, we had talked a lot about the Minnesota Timberwolves losing their pick, and they did. They lost it. They went down to number seven. So Golden State gets that pick, which is obviously huge for Golden State and obviously devastating for Minnesota. You know, we talked about the first five picks on our first episode and how we all came, we all came to the conclusion that Cade Cunningham is the consensus number one pick. And so it looks like he's going to be going to Detroit 
Um, how do you guys like that fit? I think they'll fit around him. Detroit has some players, you know. They had they uh, Jeremy Grant had a great year. Killian Hayes showed some promise, but at the end of the day, a player like Cade is someone you build around. You don't you don't worry about fit with him. They'll they'll fit around him. Cade's gonna be great. Uh, hopefully, they can build a winner. I think I like Sadiq Bay. I think he adds a lot at the small forward position for them. Other than that, I don't know if anyone like is really that important to like their future i mean killian like they want killian hayes to be a future guard and pair hayes with Cade. the pistons what they need more than any specific position is like somebody who's talented um because they were horrible this year a few bright spots like jeremy grant and sadiq bay but like they're not gonna they, they need a star um and so it's good for them that they got the number one pick and yeah they did just take killian hayes they needed like the most talented player available. So I think that the fit doesn't really matter because they just need somebody who's going to be like a star who's going to change their franchise. So the, the NBA just announced too that the play-in tournament is going to be back next season. Do you guys think drafting Cade Cunningham puts them in position to get into that play-in tournament or maybe even a playoff spot? Mm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say. Uh I mean, it's not that hard to get, you know, to get a 10 spot in the East. I mean, I think, yeah, there's always the possibility. We saw Atlanta absolutely turn their franchise around. But granted, they weren't as bad as the Pistons were this past season. And then also they got they landed people in free agency. That being said, yeah, I think Detroit definitely can make the plan. Like, will they? Probably not. But, like, they only have to beat out a couple teams to get a spot in the East. So it's not going to be that hard. That's the beautiful thing about the play-in is we can even talk about the Pistons in any sort of playoff position. We'll need to see how, you know, how Cade plays. If, like, Sadiq Bey can make a leap in his second year. If Grant can play like he played last year. I I mean, it's it's not out of the question, but... Um, Yeah, I'm excited that they're bringing the play-in back. And I think that uh, it made the playoffs, like, the start of it a lot more exciting. maybe he can make a sort of run like the Grizzlies made where it's like John Morant leading a bunch of young guys and if Cade can have that kind of like leadership and create enough offense for the rest of those guys they could they could put together some some wins yeah I mean Jeremy Grant is he's good Cade has the potential to be really good like you said he's the kind of guy that you would want to build a franchise around I just don't see them make this such a big jump to go from the absolute bottom of the league to the play even just the play in and I think there's a decent amount of trade rumors around Jeremy Grant, too. I know that some of the Atlanta Hawks trade rumors I was looking at, he was in them. And so I don't know if that's actually, there's any truth to that from the Detroit side, like if they're looking to move him, which if they're looking to move him, they, they're obvious, they obviously have no hope for this upcoming season. They're looking to continue to build around Cade. But I mean, I think Jeremy Grant is a solid piece that paired with Cade you would just need a couple more pieces before you're in contention. But I mean, they've stockpiled a good amount of young guys who are promising, but haven't made that jump yet. Like you said, uh, Killian Hayes and Sadiq Bey being the, the rookies on the team. And then they also picked up Hamadou Diallo and trade who's shown a little bit of promise. I mean, we're the most positive podcast and, and even we are a little hesitant to <laughs> say they're going to win a bunch of games. Yeah, we love every team, but even Detroit's a little. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard. I I like the the fit of Cade in Detroit, just as far as like a brand and like a franchise goes. I feel like oh, yeah. um, he'll kind of fit that kind of 
grit and grind, bad boys, Detroit Pistons style basketball. I think it'll be fun to watch. Pistons over under 30 wins next year. How many do they have this year? 20. Uh, I'll go under. Same. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's going to be close, but I'm saying under. Looking at the Rockets at number two, um, I've seen trade rumors that they really want to move up to the number one pick. Um, I really like Christian Wood and Kevin Porter Jr., and I think it would be cool to see them add Kate Cunningham to the mix if they could. It's going to take a big offer for Detroit to give up that number one pick. I mean, I'm assuming they would have to give up the number two pick and maybe like a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. I think Detroit would... I don't know. I think if I'm Detroit, I would still rather take Cade. Yeah. Yeah. As a Cavs fan, out of principle, I don't love Kevin Porter Jr. But as a basketball fan, uh, he's really talented. Um, and I I hope he stays out of trouble off the court. Because uh, that was the thing when the Cavs drafted him. They were like, he has really high potential... Um, he had some injuries. He also had some behavioral issues, um, but he has a really high ceiling. Um, and then obviously he had the issues with the Cavs and got moved to Houston. Um, but I think he has a really high ceiling. Um, I, I really want, I'd like to see him succeed. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, I think with the number two pick Porter jr. And Wood, um, and then Jay Sean Tate had a great year as well. Um, I think that the Rockets could be um, a decent team next year, definitely competing for a play-in spot. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, Kevin Porter Jr. drop 26 on the one game away from a championship Milwaukee Bucks and in the, the famed eight eight roster game, the eight players on the roster. Um, the Rockets are in a way different position than the Pistons. I feel like the Rockets have a lot of guys that you can be excited about. Yeah. If you throw Jalen Green in there or you throw Mobley in there, I think the future is like a lot brighter in Houston. And you have like a bit of a foundation now with those guys that you can, you can uh, mm-hmm. start building something that will contend. I don't know what, what's going on with John Wall. Is he done there? I think he indicated on Twitter or Instagram, they had a poll. Will John Wall play in Houston next year? And he voted No. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't know that there's a definitive answer, but based off that, I would say he's probably done it. <laughs> okay. Insider source. But yeah, I mean like uh, they, they, uh, they got some guys. I mean, Christian Wood's really good. I like people have argued like, Oh, should they draft Evan Mobley because they already have Christian Wood? I don't think, again, you're, you're, you're drafting second overall. I don't think you worry about fit. I think you take the player you think is going to be the best. And you figure it out from there. I think they, Mobley and Wood could play together. And Mobley has a much higher ceiling than Wood, who is kind of like, I don't know. I, he's really good. I Like, you just, you kind of know what you're going to get with him. And I think Jalen Green's probably the best scorer in the draft. So, uh, whatever whatever they pick there, I, as long as they don't get too crazy. In my mind, the Rockets don't even get the number two pick if Christian Wood doesn't get hurt. And they, he doesn't, he misses a lot of games. Um, they do terrible, and then they just – I mean, they start tanking. They weren't going to be good anyway, uh, but I don't think they were going to be the second-worst team. Um, and so it, it's just interesting. It's interesting also to think about them having, you know, two-star big guys going from their small ball lineup so recently. It's just been an interesting, like, completely unpredictable turnaround. Um, like 12 months ago, if you said that about Houston uh, – Nobody, it, you wouldn't have believed it. And then now they have no James Harden, have the number two pick, um, and they could have two star centers. Yeah, I really like the Rockets. If Kevin Porter Jr., like you said, stays out of trouble and pans out, 
like he has potential potential to, especially with like like that fifty point game that he had that was kind of out of nowhere that nobody expected. You know, we kind of got an idea of what he's capable of. It's just going to be a matter of can he play at a at a high level consistently and stay out of trouble and stay on the court and everything. I would like to see what like someone like Jalen Suggs would look like there. Like he would give them a really good playmaking point guard. And then Kevin Porter would be more like a scoring guard next to him. And then you have Christian Wood, who's really talented at the four or five position. It's hard. I, I It's hard with this draft. I feel like outside of Cade, it's kind of a toss up with the rest of the five as far as like Kaminga, Jalen Green and Suggs, Scotty Barnes. So it's kind of hard to say who goes two through five with those guys. Um, and even the rest of the draft, I feel like there's a ton of different guys that could go in the top in the top 10. Yeah, I've seen there's a pretty big drop off after 5, but you you mentioned Scotty Barnes, he's kind of slid up there. Uh Kaminga seems to be dropping in some people's mocks. I don't know a lot about Kaminga, yeah. but it seems like people are a little less high on him than they maybe were a few months ago when we first started talking about him. In some of the mock drafts, Keon Johnson going 7 to the Warriors, he made the news because he broke the record for the vertical jump at the combine 48 inches in my mind. That's like, honestly, at this point, I feel like I don't get as excited over that as I did a few years ago. Cause it's just not enough in the NBA anymore to be like a freak athlete. I feel like you, we're looking at kind of the more all around. I don't know. I just think, I just think about like Andrew Wiggins athletic promise in the draft combine and then kind of struggling his first few years in the league. Yeah, I mean, I I got really excited when I heard that just because I thought he was an impressive player. And then, like you were saying, I don't you, – how you don't get as excited about that anymore. I went and looked in to see who the previous guy who held it was, and it was Kenny Gregory from Kansas um, who went undrafted. Um, so, like you said, athleticism doesn't necessarily translate to being an NBA star. But 48 inches is still really impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's yeah. four inches above the next player, Jericho Sims, who's a center. And the fact that he's a he's a shooting guard is pretty interesting that he's like... I don't think people think of him as like someone who's going to rely on his athleticism. I think it's like almost a bonus for him. And maybe that's why yeah. people are excited about it. It's not like he's just an athlete. It's like, oh, he's also this good of an athlete. You know what I mean? All, all around, he's good his offense needs a little bit of work um he only averaged 11 points per game last season shot 27 percent from three so i think i don't know i have a hard time putting him up as high as like seventh seven's a tough spot for the warriors because i feel like you really want to be in that top five or six where you can get like mm-hmm. you know Jalen green or kaminga or one of those guys whereas i feel like once you start getting down to like 10 through 20 you still have a lot of really good talent that's falling down there and so that kind of middle of the pack i'm not so sure about uh and that, that might be just because as a hawks fan i've been looking at that that like 20 spot a lot to see who the hawks might take at 20 and so i've seen a lot of highlights from those guys in that range that i really like yeah no you're right though the seven spot is tough it's like right at the spot where you can create a lot of chatter about a possible trade because it's not like yeah. a certain thing, whoever you're getting. And it sounds like the Warriors, from what I've read, want to maybe move that pick and Wiseman to pick up somebody. Mm-hmm. I hope they keep Wiseman because I'm a big fan of him and I would like to see him succeed. And I think the Warriors would be a great team for him to be on, obviously. 
Um, I don't think we saw nearly what his potential was last season, but his skill set and his size and athleticism, he had some flashes of like looking really good that I liked. The Cavs, too, at number three, since we have our uh, Cavaliers expert on here, Brian. Yeah. Let's say Cade, Cade is out of the mix. Any of the other guys are available. Who would you want to take at number three for the Cavs? I still don't know because I think the Cavs narrative is not – it's not so much – about the draft pick as it is about Colin Sexton and where they decide they're going with the future of the franchise. Um, Because there's been a lot of talks about moving Sexton. Obviously he wants that max extension. They don't necessarily want to give him that. And then they'll pay Allen and then they'll be blocked out from paying Okoro and Garland down the line. They don't necessarily want to be in that position. So there's been a lot of talk about moving Sexton Um, And so I think it just depends on what happens with that. I, I like Jalen green. I mean, he's really talented. Um, I'm going to be happy, honestly, with whoever Houston picks us taking the other one out of um, green and Mobley, just because, I mean, I see a big upside in both of them. So um, I'm going to be happy either way. And Houston kind of eliminates some of that stress um, by having the number two pick. But yeah, I mean, there's also been talks that they might move the number three pick. Some people say that they were going to try to trade up. And then I've also heard some people say they were going to pair it with Sexton and like try to just move him for some other star or something. Um, There's just so much speculation in the Cleveland media right now. I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. I imagine they're going to keep the pick. I'm happy either way with Green or Mobley. But I think, honestly, it's going to more so focus on, you know, what happens with Sexton and if they move him before draft night. Do you think that Darius Garland is the point guard of the future? Or would you like to see them maybe take a chance on a Jalen Sugg? So I've heard that. And there's actually, in the past week, there's been a lot more people saying that the Cavs are getting warmer on Jalen Suggs as a playmaker. Um, You know, a very athletic player. Um, I just don't know that they necessarily need him. You know, if they have a player like Garland. um, But yeah, there's been a lot of people who are really warm on him in the Cleveland media. It would be really hard to pass on either Green or Mobley and take Suggs in my mind. They've done a good job drafting the past few years. They got Porter Jr., Okoro, Sexton, Garland. All of them have turned out to be great so far. Um, I'm just going to trust the front office on this one, but... I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens with Colin Sexton. I've also heard um, quite a few rumors that they would potentially move this pick. Um, Knicks are really interested in Colin Sexton. um, So they would move this pick um, and get um, maybe some of the Knicks later first round picks. Um, I think they have 19 and 21, I believe. Um, So that would be interesting to see how that changes things up. I feel like, you know, if Jared Allen's contract is becoming a question with them, then taking Mobley seems like the best option for them. I feel like paying Jared Allen is just not a good move for the future. Like he's good and he's going to compliment a good team, but I feel like he's not the kind of guy you want to pay and try to make part of a rebuild. And so I feel like I would rather draft someone like Mobley to take that five spot and move on. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, the money is the money is the issue with the Cavs because they wouldn't be able to pay their four young players what they deserve. Um, but Kevin Love is absorbing a huge part of the cap, and he's not worth the money. 
Um, and so you're going to have to either pair Kevin Love with the three pick or pair Kevin Love with Colin Sexton to get him off the books. Um, and I don't know what the move is. You're not going to be able to pay everybody. And that's pretty much the storyline in Cleveland. I think something really interesting, Kevin Love um, gave a statement either yesterday or today. Um, and it seems like he's sort of embraced with his latest falling out with USA Basketball. He's sort of embraced that he's not the same player. Um, and he said that he thinks you, the nights of him getting 25 touches a night and, you know, being a top option on the team is in his rear view. Um, and he recognizes that he's going to be um, a piece and a veteran presence on teams going forward. Um, that to me sounds like a player who either wants to get traded to a championship team or wants to buy out and um, would take something else to go win somewhere else. Kevin Love grew up a Lakers fan. Um, he's from LA. I could see something like that. But yeah, I mean, Kevin Love is one of my favorite Cavaliers. I also think we need to get him off the book so we can focus on the future. Um, but if we can somehow keep um, you know, our four young players and our draft pick, that'd be awesome. I just don't think that it's going to happen. Yeah, Cleveland's bleak. Not as bleak as Detroit. Yeah, not yeah. You can't get much bleaker than Detroit. But we're not far behind. Or Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota was the other one I wanted to talk about because we talked about just how awful it would be if they lost their first round pick from the lottery, and they did. Brutal. Which we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about that last time. It was kind of hypothetical at the time, but it's it's very real now. Um, when do they do they have a pick at all? No, they don't have a first round pick. Oh. Or a second round? Do they? Oh my god. No, they are not there at draft night. They don't even have to send a representative. Oh, they're not even good enough to be talked about on the tank, the tanking podcast. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but do we want to talk about Atlanta now that their season's over? And um, do you want to do you want to give a eulogy for your beloved Atlanta Hawks? Oh man, it was just it was so much fun. I didn't expect them to come nearly this far. Every time they won a game, I was just ecstatic because I just kept thinking it was the end over and over, and I just kept kept at it i'm so proud of those guys and i think that without injuries they've got a lot of promise but i'm just it's kind of nerve-wracking for me to think about what they do this offseason like i feel like it's really crucial to if we're ever going to win a championship but i trust travis schlink with my life because every offseason he surprises me and does something incredible john collins is the big question because we weren't able to get a contract extension with him, even though we offered him, I think, ninety million dollars. Um, he's, you know, he bet on himself, and he had a down year. Part of that was all the additions to the team, playing next to Clint Capella, um, put his rebounding numbers down a little bit. But he still shot really well from the field, and he had some games where he really showed up and played well. Playoffs, I just felt like he was super inconsistent, like. He had some games where he was scoring in single digits and he was just a complete non-factor. And then he had, there was some game, a couple of the games where we had the big comebacks. It was because in the first half he was just not doing anything. And then second half, he just came out with like a ton of energy and sparked a big run for us. And so it's just like, I love John John Collins and he's the longest tenured player on the team right now. And so I would love to see him stick around, but at the same time, I just, I think with DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish showing so much promise, and then also having Bogdanovich, that's a good starting guard. I feel like 
Trey, Bogdanovich, Reddish, and Hunter starting those four, and then either sticking with Capella or, you know, maybe trading for a different center would be the move. Um, Something the restricted free agent, it shouldn't be too hard to keep him or do a sign and trade if that's what we decided to do. Um, but it just makes me nervous to see what they do. And like I said, the tw- the the 20th pick, there's a lot of guys that I really like. I've seen a lot of people that really want them to get Cam Thomas. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not sold on Cam Thomas's jump shot. Watching some of his highlights, it's kind of got the Lonzo ball feel to it where he kind of starts down at his hip and brings it up, um, which is not, you know, the worst thing in the world. He's shot around 32% from three. Um, but I really like um trey man out of florida watching his highlights i think that point guard backup point guard is where they got to go with number 20 in the draft i don't think they're going to get any a major game changer at that position at that um that pick but i would like to see them get another point guard because when trey went to the bench the whole thing just kind of fell apart lou williams was salvageable but pretty inconsistent as well i would rather i'd like to see us get a nice young point guard who can consistently come off the bench and get buckets. I was about to ask about Lou Williams because he has indicated, um, he tweeted, I'll be back or something like that. And then he's indicated that he's wanted a multi-year deal. Um, I mean, he is starting to get up there. Do you think he's worth um, investing in, in a multi-year deal or what, what are your thoughts on Lou Williams? I mean, I like Lou Williams. Like I liked him his first go around in Atlanta. He grew up in Atlanta and he talks about how he used to always like ride the bus to Atlanta game to Hawks games after school and stuff. And like, I've always thought that was such a cool story. And so I was like super, super pumped for him to come to Atlanta, even if he, you know, barely played at all. I just think it's cool to have him around. But as far as him being our go-to sixth man, I just don't think he's quite there anymore. Like, He's going to have a game, and he had a, a game here and there in the playoffs where he was the difference maker coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, and he played the few games that he started when Trey was out. He had one pretty good game. But besides that, it's just, I don't know. I wouldn't mind keeping him around, but I don't think we can rely on him to be the best player off the bench. You know, one of the benefits of the Hawks making that magical ahead of schedule run is, other than like the John Collins question mark, you guys aren't really in a lot of pressure to do a lot because you got to think that the young guys are going to get right. better. They they were in these big moments and way before anyone ever thought they would. And like Trey Young's going to get better, Herder will get better, DeAndre Hunter will get better. Um, even like Bogdanovich, I bet can work on things and improve. I I feel like the Hawks are in a good position to to tweak and like just develop over the off season and get the young guys um, learn from their experiences this postseason. Now they have a, a great long-term permanent coach and Nate McMillan, as they kept saying. Um, I'm still not over that. I'm still seeing like tweets that say a Hawks officially announced Nate McMillan signed as the permanent head coach. And I'm like, I, I get that they're trying to say that he went from interim to just head coach, but permanent's just not the right word. And it's not. Uh, we were we were talking about in the group chat. George Carl even tweeted it was confused by it, and so I was like, I hadn't seen anybody mention how weird that wording was until George Carl. So I'm glad that it was somebody with a you know some act with an actual reputation that was like, why are we saying permanent? But 
Um, I I I was really nervous that for some reason they were gonna maybe not because it just seemed like they put it off for so long, taking away that interim title. Super stoked that they have him sticking around now, and that Lloyd Pierce is as far as possible from that team, and he's coaching USA basketball, which is obviously kind of been a question mark. Now that McMillan is a permanent coach and Lloyd Pierce doesn't want Trey on USA basketball. Uh, Trey will have a lot of time to spend with McMillan this summer. Get better. But yeah, I think I think you're right, Noah, that like I honestly feel like if John Collins just walks, like it's not gonna be the worst thing in the world. I've just like had some conversations with people about like that don't think that Atlanta has that number two guy that they're gonna need to make another deep playoff run. Like Bogdanovich is not there. I, I think that DeAndre Hunter will have to be that guy. He's still young enough and has shown promise. He's just been injured a lot. You look at how the Bucks. I like now the Bucks are like my barometer for like how teams can build and try to make a championship. And like, except for the Giannis factor, which is obviously a huge factor. If you, you have a star that you drafted, like, and you, you have good players around him, like you don't have to rush it. The Bucks didn't rush success. They didn't try to make a bunch of moves like to, to win immediately. They just kind of developed their guys. I think the Hawks can kind of follow that mold of just developing the guys that they have and then tweaking and getting a, like filling holes if they really need to. But I think they'd be smart not to be in a rush um, with the core, like just develop and, and see where it goes, you know, like internally they, they have the pieces. If John Collins does get signed and traded, I, if, if it's me and there's the potential to sign and trade John Collins and get somebody like Miles Turner I saw Carl Anthony Towns that seems kind of out of reach, but not impossible if Minnesota is struggling that bad. Like, never know that. Maybe they would take it. Maybe they would take a draft pick and John Collins for Carl Anthony Towns since they don't have any draft picks. But um, I know we'd said we had mentioned talking about USA basketball, and I just can't. I still just don't understand how Trey Young is not on that team. Talking about the Hawks and Lloyd Pierce, like I feel like if we want to get into conspiracies, Lloyd Pierce has to have something to do with it. Cause when he was, when Lloyd Pierce was in Atlanta, there was so many rumors about him, like not being a fan of Trey Young's game. And there was just a lot of tension there between them, those two. And that's part of why Lloyd Pierce ended up getting the boot. But um, I mean, like with JaVale McGee and Kelvin Johnson coming on team USA, it's just like, I just don't understand. And I mean, I, I wanted Kevin Love to succeed for the fact that it could boost his trade value, so it's easy for easier for us to get him off our hands. But I like didn't think he should have even been in the roster on the first place. And like I, yeah, I mean I think there definitely could be some other dynamics on there because I just don't understand the roster choices that they're making um, for Team USA. But yeah, it's very weird. Uh, I mean, like I started like really following basketball maybe like two thousand six. Because uh, George Mason was making a tournament run, and like so, that 2008 USA team is like when I really started paying attention, and that was like all the best players were on the team. Like, I and so my in my head, it's like okay, USA basketball, it's the all star team of all star teams. Like we get all the best players, and then now it's like this weird like B and C list team that like isn't it's good, but like with the way that the international field is these days, like. There are so many good players who like are playing for their countries that are that play in the NBA and like really care about playing for their country. It's like, do these guys, like these guys are playing for Team USA? Like, do you think that they really care 
or is it just like something that they signed up to do like as an exhibition? I, I just, I don't know. It's like a we. It's a really weird roster, and like you said, like adding a JaVale McGee, who even I can almost understand JaVale McGee just watching those other games where they didn't have any rim protection, but like Keldon Johnson, like I didn't even know what NBA team he was on. I don't understand how he can be on the USA basketball team. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Team USA roster, it's like they would probably win an NBA, like almost for sure win an NBA championship. But like you look at other past Olympic rosters and it's like, this is an all-time team. Like the the entire starting five is Hall of Famers, you know? Um, and so it, it really is just weird. It seems like players are less interested in playing in the Olympics nowadays. And like, this is a weird Olympics. Um, but also, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there has to be some co- kind of other dynamic at work that so many players are either opting out um, or they just have like some weird smattering of players. Yeah, and it might have to do with like um, the load management rest mentality. I think uh, there are there probably players who just wanted to focus on getting ready, especially with the like 18 months they've had of short off seasons into like just they've been playing a lot of basketball so I can understand it from that perspective but it it's just like it goes back to what I'm saying like Team USA was like the pinnacle like when I started watching basketball and like like winning that gold medal was the coolest thing you could do I feel like you didn't say no if you were asked to be on Team USA and it was all the best players and I feel like that's not the situation now I mean not to say that like these aren't among the best players in basketball. Like they certainly are most of them. Um, but yeah, it definitely, um, the, the dynamic of the roster is different. And there's still three guys that haven't actually played for team USA yet being Booker Middleton and holiday, obviously, cause they're pretty busy with the finals. Um, but you have to think that, I mean, like they're going to be exhausted by the time the finals are over and USA basketball should be starting up what in a week or two. So Well, the Olympics start this Friday. So Yeah, I think I think the first basketball games aren't until like the end of the month, so I think that those guys in the finals will have like maybe 2 weeks off before that starts, but um and then like talking about the JaVale McGee pick, I did see somebody on Twitter who was like honestly who is the best center in the NBA that's not on an international not an international player that you would put above JaVale McGee and like some people said Christian Wood but outside of him it was like you know Embiid's from Cameroon Jokic is from Serbia Carl Anthony Towns is from Dominican Republic where do you really go from there when you're looking for a big man you kind of Jared Allen's probably trying to secure his bag um, you don't want to get injured in the Olympics. Um, I feel like that's probably a lot of, um, yeah, Drummond. I feel like a lot of the dynamic that we don't see also has to deal with people trying to get extensions or people trying to get contracts. You know, we don't hear about that, a lot of those things in the public, but I'm sure that plays a big role in it as well as, like, people not wanting to get injured. Well, another factor, like, just from a basketball perspective, you look at the the guys on this roster, they're, like, all iso ball guys. Yeah, like like when Bradley Beal was on the team, unfortunately he won't be able to go during COVID because of COVID. But like Booker, Beal, Durant, Zach Levine, Dame, like this isn't 
it's like almost a team you would like pick in NBA Blacktop on 2K. But if you were like an actual general manager, like these guys aren't going to move the ball well. <laughs> like it's a lot of guys who can score one on one, but like you're playing against teams with guys like Luis Scola, who's like a 41 year old hottie who is just like, and all those guys on that team who are just moving the ball really well and like playing better basketball. Like basketball isn't all about one-on-one as we talked about with Devin Booker playing ISO against the Bucks. Like you got to play good team basketball to win basketball games. Like you can, you can get a lot of highlights with this roster, but I mean, I like we say all this and they'll probably end up winning the gold because they're so damn talented, but like, it's just, it's just a weird roster. I think is our ultimate point. Like, what? Why did they pick these players when you could actually formulate a team and you could have the best player? Another thing with Javale McGee is he's going to be somebody who's going to make an impact without demanding the ball in the post or demanding that, needing the ball in his hands to make a difference. He handled the bubble situation really well with the Lakers, and you know he was a big like team morale thing. Um, and I mean, I didn't really think about that. Um, but I mean, they are in a bubble situation pretty much at the Olympic Village. Um, in Tokyo. So that could be an interesting factor. You know, he has experience um, being successful in a bubble type basketball situation. I think looking at this roster, it's like Draymond Green is really the only guy who you would look at on here as who you would consider a playmaker, right? Like he's the only guy on here that's like not a, not a score first guy. Drew, I guess, once he shows up. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you that They'll probably win the gold just because they have so much talent. But um, it's been an interesting start to the exhibition games for sure. I think a lot of people were kind of like, oh. I know I'm supposed to root for America. Um, but that being said, uh, the Slovenia getting their first Olympic bid on the back of Luka Doncic. That is pretty exciting. I, I'm rooting for them. Nigeria has also been exciting. Um, Nigeria beat two top four teams in their first two games. I think they beat U.S. and Argentina. or I mean, it was someone like that, um, uh, you know, solid contenders. So that's exciting as well. So, I mean, I want the U.S. to win the gold, but I, I'd be happy to see one of those smaller countries who never wins get it as well. Another team, um, the Aussies, Australia, is really interesting. I uh, It's like Matisse Feibel and Joe Ingles and then draft prospect Josh Giddy. Um, are the notable guys on that team. And I like, I want to watch them and see how Thibel handles a more leading role. Cause I, I love Matisse Thibel and on the Sixers, he's more of a like come in, defend really hard and, and um, play like that second unit kind of guy. And with the, with Australia, he's going to be much more of a, a lead guy. And I, I want to see how he handles it. Cause I could see him kind of filling that role in an NBA team down the road. He's, he's just so good. He- Australia is going to be really interesting to watch, especially in light of the big absence with uh, Ben Simmons and, you know, his the big question mark with him going forward. He said he's opting out to do individual skills training um, after an all time playoff worst um, free throw percentage and, you know, total lack of confidence. It seems like that's necessary, Um, but it's interesting because, like, I don't think anybody expected that he wasn't going to play for them. Um, and so it would be, it'll, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they succeed, um, but they seem like they could be a really good team. I'm sure Noah's excited to see uh, Japan with Hachimura. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, man, my guy Rui. Uh, 
they don't have much else on that team, but um, Rui will definitely be the star. I, I love Rui to make a leap here in the next couple of years as well. I think he's a, he's gonna he's gonna be contending for a all star spot in the near future. Really like Rui. Pau Gasol probably playing in his last yeah. uh, basketball game is what all indication has been saying. Um, so that'll be exciting to see um, him and his brother playing together again on Spain. I mean, like, is it gonna be like, is it gonna be like insanely embarrassing if USA doesn't win the gold? I mean, is that's gonna be kind of a hard pill to swallow. Does anybody like. care anymore? I don't even know if USA basketball is cool anymore. Might not be. People don't seem to want to play. I am very interested to see. I mean, we already talked about the Warriors. I think the Warriors are the biggest headline for what they might do. Um, but I think the Raptors four pick is really interesting. And I like, I like the Raptors to move, move the four and maybe move the four and a player and, and like a, like the four and Lowry and maybe try to get like a Dame, a Dame Willard or a CJ McCollum. And cause the Raptors can either rebuild right now or they like, and dump, they're big guys and keep the four or they can trade the four and try to stay contending. And I think they're going to try to stay contending with the guys they have. For me, I, there's been a lot of Nick's interest in Colin Sexton. Um, the one trade I thought that was really interesting is Sexton for Barrett, the 19th and the 21st pick. Um, and then Cavs have three first round picks. It'd be really easy to see them moving up. Um, I would love to see Cleveland turn maybe like, the three and the 19 or the three, 19 and 21 into the first pick. Um, I think that'd be wild. And that'd be really exciting. Those, those damn Lakers are going to do something. They have the number 22 pick. They don't, they didn't have any depth. And I think they're going to try to package a deal and try to try to move that 22 pick. I, that one's not as exciting because it's not one of the top 10 or anything. But I, I could see the Lakers moving the 22. I don't think a 22 pick really helps them right now. Yeah, I'd like to see where the Knicks go after having such a good playoff. Well, not a good playoff run, but a good season with a 19 and 21. I feel like both of those gives them some room to uh, make a move. All right, that is it for the episode today. Make sure to join us next time closer to the draft where we're going to be looking at all of the upcoming draft picks. Um, also be sure to check us out on Twitter at make it tank it. We're going to be giving away some more moments on NBA top shot this week. Thanks for listening. 